Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Welcome to a Thursday morning edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. What is this? Fall of 2020? Dylan Hughes <laughs> in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you were expecting fastballs. Um, Nick Castellanos has opted out of his contract. And I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll ever put on this headset again. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, your, t- your team traded somebody else yesterday, too. I don't know. Refresh me on who they traded yesterday. Tucker Barnhart. Are the Reds blowing it up? They had a pretty good year last year. Okay, so the Tucker Barnhart thing is bittersweet, okay? First of all, it's an Indiana boy, so he's, uh, I believe he's from Zionsville, so it's obviously hold him close to heart. Very good catcher, but they've got this young kid, Tyler Stevenson, that he is just a killer, man. Like, he's going to rake when he gets a full job. And I think they were just clearing the way for him. So, it's it's fine. Like, I think I think it'll ultimately be fine. Castellanos, like, we knew. I think we knew this was coming. There was a report midseason that he was probably going to opt out. So, you know what? This is Reds baseball. You know, we fall in love with guys, and then they fuck us. But, hey. I'm not wishing anything bad on Castellanos because he hasn't gone yet, but Trevor Bauer left and some shit happened after that. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll what see. are you trying to say, Dylan? What are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just saying maybe a little bit of karma. I don't know. I don't I'm know. not sure if you'll ever be putting on as there's a deep drive into left field by Castellanos. That'll make it a four nothing ball game. I don't know if I'll ever put on this headset again. Um, I think that's going to be his legacy, whether he wants it to be or not. I think absolutely he is going to. That'll be Castellanos's legacy for the rest of the time. But I mean, listen, you know, he's a left fielder, right? Castellanos is. Yeah. All right, we don't need him then. We have Eloy. We're good. But I was thinking maybe we can swipe him, and you could. He wouldn't be going too far, Dylan, but um, I think we need to spin the wheel. So before we get into our, if you need a reminder, our teams for this week were the Bulls, Warriors, and the Kings. We kind of went a little, we recorded on Thursday morning, so we have an extra game. I only watched the extra Warriors game, though, not either of the Bulls or the Kings games. But let's spin the wheel, Dylan. Who are you looking forward to maybe getting this week? Well, we've already watched a good amount of Charlotte, um, so might as well just throw them in there. And, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of open to some Knicks slander because uh, I watched the Pacers beat them last night. So, you know, I, I'm of course, as always, I'm open to anything, but those are two that I'm kind of keeping an eye on right now. I don't know how you'll like the first spin of the wheel, Dylan. It came up. Philadelphia 76ers. Hmm. Interesting. So I mean, this. so I, I didn't watch. I just I didn't watch their game against the Bulls last night. I just watched the highlights. But Tyrese Maxey's been playing really well in place of Ben Simmons. So I'm interested to dive in more of that. Yeah. And I think it's ironic that I 
come off of saying I didn't watch last night's Bulls game and we get the team that played the Bulls last night. And our second team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Ooh. So there's kind of going through it right now, but I don't think this is a throw it back team because we, um, in case you heard that, something catastrophic just happened in my apartment, but um, we, uh, we don't need to throw the Bucks back, I don't think, because... I don't think this is going to be the final picture for the Bucks, and plus Giannis is still playing. So I think we'll be fine with them. Let's go for our bad team now. I'm hoping we get the Cavs. I really want to watch the Cavs. Oh, yes. Me too. So we get we don't get the Cavs. We get another team that's playing extremely well, though. My Toronto Raptors. Oh, wow. That's, that's not even like a – that's like a cheat right there because they're like well above 500 at this point. Yeah, if I was going to swap this at this point, I'd have put the Pacers in the bad wheel and the Raptors in the good one. But, you know, that's that is what it is. Um, So, yeah, I don't think we're going to throw any of these teams back because none of them really there's no reason to throw any of them back. So our teams for next week are the 76ers, the Bucks and the Raptors, a.k.a. the top three seeds in the 2019 playoffs. (laughs) How fast, fast things change in the NBA. But so, Dylan, I think. I know we would usually save the Bulls for last because we're fascinated with them, but they had the biggest injury news of the week, and I feel like we got to start with them. Do you think that's a fair place to start? Yeah. So um, our first team will be the Chicago Bulls. So this week, well, <laughs> this week was they had a lot of games this week. Um, they had they have a really rough schedule, and their first game was against the Knicks. They lost by one in a game that they probably should have won. After an epic Knicks collapse, um, they beat the Jazz without Mike Conley, I think, 107 to 99. They beat the Celtics in another epic collapse. <laughs> and then they lost to the Sixers last night. Um, the Celtics game was 128 114. The Sixers game was 103 98. And they're doing well in spite of losing Patrick Williams to the, for the season with a wrist injury. Um, he went up to try to dunk on Mitchell Robinson and he fell and landed on his wrist. And so, I mean, Dylan, I think it's remarkable how well they're playing because we watched three of we watched two of the three games without Williams and they really played the second half of the next game without Patrick Williams. I think it's really remarkable how well they're playing without Patrick Williams. Yeah, you know, we were worried about their defense and they're currently the number four team in defense in the league right now. So it's been interesting. I mean, Javante Green has stepped up into Patrick Williams' place and played really well. And this was a guy that we talked a little bit about in our preview. Like, he kind of caught my attention at the end of last year. He was getting some run. And he wasn't playing too much. So, like, there wasn't a really much reason to expect him to have a huge role and now he's their starting power forward. So it's it's worked out really well, though, because, like, he doesn't really do much on offense, but that's good because they have so much damn offense already on the floor. And I, Patrick Williams was going to fall into that role, too, where he just wasn't going to get a ton of opportunities because, man, I mean, you got three really good ball handlers on the floor, and then you got Vucevic, who's one of the better offensive centers in the league. So he has really helped them hold that together. And their bench has been fine. I mean, we expected the bench to be kind of thin. And obviously having a huge injury like that is going to make it even more thin. But, I mean, Caruso has been really good. 
Uh, Io DeSunmu, the rookie, has had some really nice games. Uh, I mean, the Celtics game especially, he was awesome. And I think it's funny that Derek Jones Jr. is now on the third team in a row where he has just way too much responsibility because, I mean, the Heat kind of relied on him at the four. The Trailblazers last year relied on him at the four. And now the Bulls. And, I mean, he's a fine player. And he's still ultimately going to be a backup, but maybe a little bit too much pressure on Derek Jones Jr. to perform here. But, you know, to start the season, it's looking good. If this team could take like half of their back, like half of their backcourt talent and convert them into like six, nine guys, they'd probably win the championship. <laughs> like this team, they're firing on all cylinders right now. And I know it's, you know, only eight games into the season because they're six and two. I forgot to say. But they're really firing on all cylinders on offense. Like it's it's amazing to me how well they've been doing on the offensive end. And I mean, like it's a shocker that Zach Levine and Demar and Vooch all kind of fit like a glove, even if Vooch is going through a little bit of Kevin Love syndrome at this point. Um, I think that it's really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see like how the pieces fit. I think that one of the keys for their season, and I know it's only eight games in. But towards the trade deadline, they're going to have to get another body at the four spot, right? Like, that's just going – they're not going to be able to last through the season with the way their front court depth is. It, it just isn't plausible, right? Like, Tony Bradley, to me, has actually been a real surprise at backup five to the point where I don't think i trade for another five. I think, like, unless it's, like, a package deal. Like, I, here's an idea I've been throwing out to our friend Caleb. I'd do maybe Kenrich Williams and Derek Favors – for Kobe White and Derek Jones. Like, I think that might really benefit the Bulls and, you know, maybe throw in like a second round pick because Sam Presti loves those. But just something to that effect where you get improved front court depth just because they, they're so lacking in it. But I think right now, the way the East is constituted, like with how much size there is in the East, there's only two big guys you got to worry about in the East, and that's well, you got to worry about Bam. The Heat are very physical, but they're not exactly what I'd call a huge team. I you got to worry about um, Embiid, and you got to worry about Giannis. And last night they only lost to the Sixers by five, and I think the Bucks would probably kill them at full strength. Let's just be real. <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, I don't think the size is going to be as much of a problem as I thought it might have been. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. And I mean, this is kind of becoming an interesting thing to monitor in the East in general, because we talked about the Celtics already and their lack of size. And of course, they're not a great example right now because they're they're not playing too well. Um, But Charlotte is another team that's very undersized, um, but ultimately playing pretty well. I mean, I guess the Knicks are have decent size, but I don't, I don't trust that in the playoffs. And I mean the Pacers, but hell, like they may not even make the playoffs, you know, like there's, it's, it's going to be a lot of high scoring games. I think when it comes down to the, to the final stretch in the playoffs, because like the nets aren't going to play big. Like a lot of the teams I just mentioned aren't going to play big. So it really just comes down to the Sixers and Bucks, And I think you could beat the Sixers with Embiid. I mean, the Hawks did it last year. And yes, they have Clint Capella, but Embiid is way better than Clint Capella, you know? So I, I don't think 
Embiid is necessarily a huge like roadblock for the Bulls or any other team. Obviously, Giannis is another case, but Giannis could be. I mean, Giannis is Giannis. You know, like it, it doesn't. His size doesn't really matter as much. Like you could get the biggest team of all time. Could they stop Giannis? I don't know. Maybe if you want to go back to the the eighties or nineties, but. I mean, this is this is like a, a increasingly smaller league, and the Bulls, at least right now, have so much offense that I mean, I think they could kind of outpace the the losses on defense they're going to give up. I I think that's right, and I think we can move on to their like big three. I mean, big three in air quotes because it's an unconventional big three. But all the pieces just work on offense, right? Like Lonzo, you know, I think we'll talk about Lonzo. I think you'd want to talk about Lonzo. I feel like, you know, he's doing what he did in New Orleans last year personally, but like on a much better team. But DeRozan and Levine in particular, like those two guys have such amazing chemistry off the bat. It's insane how much better they look than like, I'm, we're just, I'm just going to say it based on the, um, the two weeks of Celtics that we've watched because we watched the game against the Bulls, it looks better already than Brown and Tatum does. I don't know. Like, they move so much better off the ball. Both of them do. It's not just, you know, Levine. Levine's a great cutter, and we're seeing it again. I, Dylan, I think that this offensive combination between DeRozan and Levine, I think that it's really dynamic, and it might be one of the best one-two punches in the league. Yeah, most times when when two players or three, if you want to throw Lonzo in, get together like this, and then you throw Vucevic on top of it, most of the time I would worry. But as soon as I saw DeRozan went there, I'm like, I love that. Because DeRozan in San Antonio became such a good passer. And he's always in the middle of the floor. And the middle of the floor is like the one spot where you can pass to anywhere pretty easily. Like if you want to, if you want to kick it out to like anywhere on the three point line, you have a good, you know, kind of vantage point. If you want to dump it down to your big in the middle, you can do that. And DeRozan is probably the best in the league at getting to those spots. And as you mentioned, Levine is just so good off ball and he just, he doesn't need the ball at all. Like he, he's a guy that, Obviously, when he has the ball, as we saw last year, can be incredible. But he can be just as effective off the ball, too. And when you have so much offensive attention on DeMar DeRozan, who has scored 30 points back-to-back now, and he's averaging 27, and yes, it's only through eight games, but 27 points is beyond a career high for him. And when you have that much attention, and then you still got to track Zach Levine off ball and Lonzo who last year really solidified his role as like an off ball player. And, you know, I talked a lot of shit about new Orleans last year and I didn't like how they used Lonzo, but part of the reason was because like their offense just didn't really make sense together. And it kind of worked out as the season went on. I didn't think using Lonzo as purely an off-ball player really made much sense for that situation. But this situation, I think it makes a lot of sense. And especially because Lonzo is a much better three-point shooter now. I mean, it's it's working out well. And he's definitely, like, of those three, he's definitely eating the least, if you will. Like, he's he's definitely not putting up huge numbers every night like the other two. But he's playing his role, man. And 
you know, he's, he's got that little Afro growing out, which I think is a really nice look for him. Um, so like you can tell Lonzo's just feeling himself. And I think he's a great kind of tertiary ball handler in that. And, you know, not to, not to get off of those three too quickly, but I love Vucevic's place on this team too, because, you know, you were mentioning that he's kind of becoming the Kevin Love, but he's a much better passer than Kevin Love was. And gosh, man, like it doesn't even matter if he's getting assists. Like those, those, some of those hockey assists he's getting where he's getting the ball in the post and he's moving it to the other side of the floor to find an open shooter. Like those four just have such great chemistry right off the bat. And, and it's amazing because, I mean, even he and Levine didn't really play much together at the end of the season because of injuries. So it's not like, you know, Vucevic and Levine had 80 games together. I don't know. They probably had less than 10 or less than 15 at least. So really you've got four guys that are just now playing together for the first time. And it looks like they've played together for years. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. Another thing I want to talk about with this team is that, Damar and Zach both play like honest basketball, right? And like, what do I mean by honest basketball? Like they're not like in terms of the new foul rules, right? Which I think we've touched on before. These two guys, Zach Levine didn't get a whole lot of foul calls to begin with last year. Like he wasn't, you know, the guy who was getting to the foul line 10 times a game. He was getting there like six, I think like only six times a game last year. And so when you don't, when you're not doing all the shenanigans to try to get to the foul line every single time, and DeMar never did that either. Like, DeMar's uh, way of getting to the foul line is much more of like, okay, I'm going to pump fake until you jump into me, right? Like, like his style of getting to the foul line is like a lot like Dwayne Wade's, which I think we would agree is much more honest than Goran Dragic throwing his ass out <laughs> trying to get to three foul attempts, right? I think that we both agree that that's way better, or Lou Will, or so many other guys. And so right now, in terms of free throw attempts, not per game, just in terms of total free throw attempts, DeMar's fifth and Zach's ninth. And I think that having two guys that are actually getting fouls called on them is going to be huge for you because let's just, I'll go through the top 10 right now. So we got Giannis at first, obviously makes sense. Jimmy Butler, second, another guy who plays honest basketball. That's not surprising. Joel, not surprising. He's a foul drawing machine. Um, Rudy, Fourth, again, not a surprise. Montrez Harrell, sixth. And I think this is where it'll start to get interesting. A guy that we're covering later on today, Harrison Barnes, seventh. Um, Kevin Durant, eighth. Zach Levine, ninth. And AD, tenth. And all those guys have, I think, one thing in common. Joel, maybe I wouldn't, I would say he kind of, you know, did some tricks to get fouls called on him last year, but all those guys for the most part draw their fouls organically. And I think that that's something that the refs are rewarding so far early in the season. Like Trey Young is at 13 right now. Luke is at 15, which feels like that should be like 10 spots higher. And then like Darren Fox is at 18, Sexton, Miles Bridges is in the top 20. (laughs) So like, I think that the all my point is I know I kind of meandered here, but my overall point is just like those two guys playing honest basketball and not like forcing the fouls is really helping them with the referees. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I was watching some of that Nets Hawks game last night and they were talking about that because I mean, Trey young and James Harden are like the two poster childs for, you know, kind of drawing or exaggerating contact. 
And I mean, it doesn't even feel fair to put Trey Young up there because it's Harden. Like Harden is the the true, you know, king of that. And he's as good as he was. Like he's the reason why people said they like his play style is the reason they hated watching him. Like it's kind of crazy to say you hate watching a guy that you know was an MVP candidate for like five years straight, but he just drew so many fouls and like it was great for the team. But as far as watching, yeah, it was it was tough to watch. And we're seeing this year, man, like Harden is struggling. I think the only good game he had this year, of course, was against the Pacers. But, man, like he is struggling. And like I, I, I think he barely cracked 10 points last night. I think I stopped watching towards the end. But he was like he's got to work for his points now. Like it's not the you know, he's not just sitting at the three point line and and pump faking and getting three foul shots anymore. So, you know, from a league perspective, it's, it's really nice to see that rule change. And yeah, Zach Levine right now, he's up a whole free throw attempt over last year. I don't, I mean, how many guys in the league can say that they made that big of a jump, you know, with these rule changes. And I don't like, I, I haven't watched enough to figure out what exactly he's doing different from last year. Um, maybe, maybe being off ball has helped him somehow. I don't know. Like he's a, he's a guy that, that naturally attacks the rim a lot anyway. So yeah, like he's, he's the guys that do that get rewarded. And like you mentioned, Jimmy Butler, he's a guy that's like that too, where he's going to the rim, man. And sometimes when you're going to the rim, you're going to get hacked. And I think that's helped him a lot. And DeMar is kind of the same thing. Like I mentioned earlier, he is, He's in the mix all the time. Like he's not he's not Steph Curry pulling up from 40 feet out that doesn't even have to get close to a defender. Like he's getting in the mix. So you're gonna have a lot of hand swat at you when you're in there. And I mean, I think free throws are down across the league for the for most teams. So to have your two best offensive players really getting fouls like that, yeah, I think it's definitely a huge advantage. And I, I think that that's one thing I noticed is just like both of those guys, like it's kind of a free throw line parade. And what do they say about like, you know, getting in rhythm for guys? It's all about getting to the foul line. And like right now, Zach is at 93.9% and DeMar is at 88%. Like, I don't think either of those will hold. I think Zach's will get down to like 88, 89. He's a really good shooter though. So you wouldn't be surprised if it stayed above 90. And then DeMar, I think will go down to like his, I think he's usually around 85, but 85% for getting to the foul line seven times a game is massive. That's an extra like five to six points a game. So I think those two have that kind of figured out. They kind of have the off ball stuff figured out. And I'll bring it back to Vooch real quick. You brought up the passing earlier. That is so key for their team. Like he's kind of like the connector on offense and like he can stretch, he can do his work in the post, but you know, there's not really a whole lot of centers. I want Vooch going one-on-one in the post against anymore. Really. It feels like the league has kind of gotten bigger. Vooch isn't that big. All things considered. I think he's only like, I'm going to check the, uh, the basketball reference real quick. I think he's only like six, nine, he might be six eleven, but He's 6'11", 260, and, you know, we got some real hulks in the game right now, like Malanchunas, Sabonis, you know, got some real... Those are the, on the smaller end, too, like um, Boban. <laughs> but, like, in all seriousness, I mean, Vooch is still such a good scorer to have out there. And I think we, sh- we should close out the Bulls section. I You talked about Javante Green at the beginning. I love the way he's playing. <laughs> he should not be doing so well at the four, but he is. 
Um, Caruso, man. <laughs> I think if he was starting, he'd make an all-defense team. I think he probably should have been an all-defensive team player last year. Like, he was so ridiculously good. He's just so ridiculously good out there. He's such a good ball mover. His shooting has never been great. But I think on this team, it doesn't have to be. I think the way the league is trending, I don't think shooting is going to be as necessary as it used to be. I think the league is going to start to value more of like all around players. And I think Caruso is going to get a real big boon from that because he's he just does everything so well on and off the ball. And I think that I mean, Dylan, what have you seen from Caruso that you've liked so far? I mean, he's kind of carried it over from from the Lakers you know, I, I, of course, had to reserve my Caruso praise until he was off the Lakers. But, I mean, we saw it last year. Like, there was times where, like, who did LeBron trust to make an open shot? Alex Caruso. You know, if LeBron trusts you to make an open shot, that's huge. And he came through a lot for them last year. But now I think we're seeing him with even more responsibility, despite the fact that they have so many ball handlers. Like, he can play with any of those guys. You can play him with Lonzo. You could play him with with a mix of, you know, two different guys. Like, he can play with anyone. I mean, he's he's good off ball. He's pretty good on ball. He's just a mess on defense. Like, he's one of those guys that dives after loose balls, and, like, he makes the effort plays. And that's that's contagious. And I'm interested to see him and Dasumu play more together, too, because Dasumu is kind of like that, too. Like, I mean, I watched him at, at Illinois last year because Illinois was very good last year, but he didn't really play off the ball much because he was, like, by far their best guard. Like, they needed him on ball. And and right now, he's playing off ball more, and I, I, he's a really good off ball player. I mean, there's been a – he's really good in transition, and so is Caruso. Like, those, those two guys, I mean – Really, all you ask out of your bench is to keep up, you know, like don't don't blow a huge lead or don't let us lose uh, any ground on this team. And I could see with these two guys leading the charge. I mean, they could they could hold, you know, hold leads or even grow leads because they they do the dirty work and the dirty work translates. It gets everyone else excited and involved. And that's that energy really, really carries over into points a lot of time. I, yeah, I mean, that's the perfect way to put it. I mean, I thought Io was one of the steals of the draft. I mean, there's a lot of steals in the draft last year. I mean, I think Jared Butler will end up being a steal in the draft. I think um, Herb Jones on the Pelicans, he might end up being a steal in the draft. Like, there's going to be, like, Duarte is looking like a steal. Scotty Barnes is looking like a steal at four. So, last year's draft, I think we're going to talk about in, like, legendary terms. Um, just in terms of, like, how talented everyone is. But... Yeah, Caruso. So I looked at the um, uh, on the on off stats when uh, Caruso's in the lineup for the Bulls. They're plus nine in 441 possessions. They're really good with him on the floor. And I think, you know, having a five with him and like if you run your your closing five with like him, Lonzo, um, Zach, Damar and Vooch, I I really have liked Lonzo's ability to guard up this year. Like he did a really good job on Randall in that Knicks game. Randall sliced them up passing wise, but like other than that, he was pretty much out of the game shooting wise. Like they took him out of the game. Like Randall to be like, I'll give him credit. He was really good at dishing it, but he wasn't doing the best job of scoring. And that's just because Lonzo just pretty much shut him down. Yeah. And that's, that's something that we've talked about over the years that I think me and you both really appreciate 
the strong guard. I mean, that is huge because guys like Randall, as strong as Randall is and as good as he is at getting to the rim, he's not he's not Joel Embiid, you know? Like, there's just some guys that even a big guy can't push around. We've seen it with Harden over the years. Harden gets so much shit for his defense, but he's really strong in the paint. And over the years, especially in Houston when they needed the defensive help, like he was willing to to take on the bigger guy in the post that that they needed to stop. And yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that with Lonzo because I, I had the same thought um, of him picking up Randall. Like he's just a strong guy. And Randall was like, had pretty good positioning in the post, I thought a lot of the time. But Lonzo, he just couldn't move him. And this team, I mean, they're playing really good defense right now. I think it may just be because they're so active. I mean, there's a lot of active hands, which active hands is like the best way to make up for lack of talent or size, I think. So they're they're doing that well. And I mean, he, you know, we'll see how that holds up as the season goes on, but they're going to need players like Lonzo and Javante Green to really step up on defense and hold their own because, you know, we know Vucevic isn't going to block shots. We know Zach Levine's going to get beat a lot. So if you can if you can get as much out of you can on defense from Lonzo, that's going to be great. And sometimes it'll be on the perimeter. Sometimes it'll be in the post. You know, that's that's what's great about him. So I think this question will be how I close out the Bulls section because I feel like we've had a good discussion here. <laughs> So their next nine games, I'll say. So they're playing the Sixers again on Saturday. They'll be playing the Nets, and they'll be playing the Mavs. Those games are all at home. Then they're going to be going on like a little West Coast road trip. They'll be playing at Golden State. They'll be playing both the LA games back-to-back like it usually is. They'll be playing at Portland, at Denver. Then they're coming back to Chicago, and they're playing New York and then Indiana. And I know Indiana hasn't gotten off to a hot start, but they're still a really good team. In those nine games, Dylan, what record would signify to you that this team is the real deal? I mean, for me personally, I've always taken West Coast road trips as like a, if you can split it, you're doing really well. If you can split it or finish, you know, I mean, if you can finish above 500 with any record, you're great. I think you just need to split it. Like if you can split all your road games like you're in a really good spot. So I'm more interested to see, you know, obviously wins matter, but I want to see how they play Golden State and and the Lakers, you know, like those are two games where it's like, these are two of the best teams in the league. So, you know, you can beat the Celtics who suck right now. You know, you can beat the Knicks or, or almost beat them, but can you beat these, can you beat the teams that are really going to stand out in the end? And you know, so if, if they can split and give those two teams either either beat them or give them a really good run, I mean, I think that's a really good sign. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if they can go six and three on this trip and win like two of the five road games, I think that would be a really encouraging sign. They should beat New York again. They should be Indiana. They should beat Dallas. I don't know about should beat Philadelphia because Philly's just a rough matchup for them. They should probably beat the Clippers too, and they should probably beat the Blazers. But we'll we'll see. It's going to be real exciting to monitor their progress. But we didn't really map this out before the episode started. Where would you like to go, Dylan? To Sacramento or to Golden State? You know what? Let's save the worst for last. Let's just go ahead and do Golden State now. 
All right. So they had a very short week this week. We only had three Warriors games. They are currently six and one. Good for second in the West. Again, that matters so much right now. Um, last Thursday, they beat, they lost to the Grizzlies 104 101 in overtime. They then destroyed the Thunder 103 to 82. And then last night, they kicked the ever living shit out of the Hornets 114 to 92. Dylan, I think this Warriors team. I'm more bought in on them watching them now, even without clay as a title contender. What have you liked from this team so far? I mean, I've liked a lot. I mean, you know, I was just looking at Andrew Wiggins numbers because just from the eye test, it feels like Wiggins hasn't been as involved, which is natural because, you know, Jordan Poole's got a bigger role and, and they've got other guys in there. But, like, he's he's not playing terribly. Like, his numbers are, are decent. Like, he's at a career low in points, again, expected. He's shooting 44% from the field, which isn't terrible, like 39 from three. It doesn't even feel like he's that involved, but, like, he's still playing fine. And, like, that that's kind of what I've noticed from this Warriors team is – I don't know if unselfish is the word, but like they just are so connected. And there's some games where, you know, like last night, Jordan Poole was the star, you know, there's other nights where obviously it's Curry or someone else, but they just feel so connected. And I mean, Jordan Poole has been obviously the most impressive. Like last night, I think was a better example of what he is than some of these other games. Cause he had a tough start, but Man, like his game just really interests me. And, you know, this is maybe a bit of a stretch of a comp, but I see like Sean Livingston with range. Like that's kind of what I see out of Jordan Poole. And most of it, I think, is that his body is just very similar. Like he's a he's a bigger guard. But man, like he's not the fastest guy in the world, but like he's still pretty quick getting around defenders. I mean, he's again, he's big, so he can post you up a little bit. He's good off and on ball. And like I said, good shooter. Like he's just really interesting to me. And I mean, when you have him coming off the bench, when clay comes back, like that's, that's going to be lethal. Having, having three guards like that, probably playing together at times too, is going to be fascinating. Cause I think he, he gives their offense another level. And, you know, we haven't really seen much of these young guys yet. Uh, Wiseman is out and Kaminga and Moody have really barely played, which man, I mean, it's just funny looking back at that draft that they had two lottery picks and they were probably hoping to get two NBA ready guys. And they have really just not given these guys much of a shot yet. Um, Which again, you look at the rotation, it's fine. Like Otto Porter Jr. has been pretty good. I think obviously Juan T is still in there. Bielitsa, I mean, come on, man. He's just a stud. And, like, he's a way better passer than I remember. Like, I don't know if he's always been this good of a passer, but, man, he is such a good passer. And on this team, that's huge. Because, like, as I said, Curry plays off ball a lot. Like, Draymond Green has made a a living out of passing to Steph Curry. And if you can bring in another forward like that that can get him the ball and get some of these other shooters the ball – like your offense is going to be really tough to stop. So I'm just really loving the flow of this team right now. And I mean, they're obviously they've been pretty much unstoppable to this point, uh, even without clay. So it's, it's been fun to watch them so far. 
they look like this is like the 2015 Warriors, but worse <laughs> right now because they're moving the ball the exact same way. You slide Bielitsa. I think Bielitsa, honestly, in terms of the roles for this team, I think Bielitsa is a more like one to one comparison for Sean Livingston. And, like just for this team, because you know they're kind of ball movers. Andre Iguodala looked washed last year, <laughs> and he's playing well right now. And he's still getting the top perimeter assignments. I mean, this team just makes sense. Like, I if they drafted like Mitchell and or, or Mitchell or Wagner or Duarte, they might be better. But I think that this team right now just has like that that element of ball movement, right? That that was missing from last year's team. Like last year was a real like, okay, we're going to get it to Steph. We're going to run pick and roll every single time. And that's not the way Steve Kerr likes to play basketball. (laughs) He likes to coach basketball. He likes to move the ball for better or for worse, right? If Steph was running a Steve Nash kind of system, you wonder what what player he'd be. But he probably wouldn't be Steph. And I think that... You know, he didn't even have to do as much last night in the game against Charlotte. I watched that game pretty much from the middle of the second quarter on. Poole was pretty much destroying him. And yet he had a rough five game stretch in between the first game and the second game. It's like shooting like 19% from three in those five games. But I think as the season goes on and he gets more comfortable in his role, he's going to be better. And like you said, having two guys like that on the team is going to be huge for them. And plus, a guy you didn't even mention, Damian Lee is balling right now. Like, this, he's looking like, last year he didn't look like an actual NBA player. This year, he's looking like an actual NBA player. And listen, I'm going to take my victory lap on Bielitsa, all right? I knew this was coming. I knew, listen, he just needed to get in a place where they actually knew how to use him. And... Miami was never going to play him. That was an awful trade for them because like, he just is not a heat culture kind of guy. Like he's, you know, he's kind of more freewheeling and dealing. And this is the perfect kind of system for him. I will say there hasn't been enough Wanty. That dude earned major minutes last year. And I think he should be like, I, I think he should be playing like 20 minutes a game. I think he should be playing more than Iggy. I think he should probably be playing as much as Damian Lee is. I think that guy like last year, genuinely, there's a lot of teams right now that would want want Toscano Anderson on their team. And I just think he should, like, I think he should be playing more. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, the Iguodala thing, like he's definitely better than he was in Miami. Like watching him in Miami was just embarrassing. I mean, he like on offense, he was just worthless essentially. And yeah, there's just something about the, the white, yellow, and blue man that brings it out of him. I mean, he he definitely looks much better, and I still think his role should be pretty limited because, I mean, he's he can pass, but, like, he's not doing much else on offense. And, yeah, having Wanty out there, I think you get some – you get – I don't know. He's, you know, he's not a better defender than Iggy, but, like, on offense, I think he gives you more – kind of dynamicism or whatever the word is like he's 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 a little bit more in the mix so you know we'll see how that shakes out like with with the politics of it I feel like Iggy's still gonna get a good amount of minutes but you know we'll we'll see I, I just feel like there's something there that they could take advantage of um you you watched the game from last night correct did you watch that um, I watched the first quarter and then I watched like I just watched the highlights because I went to bed. So I was going to say you missed the Gary Payton, the second show that dude last night. 
I, I, one of the last things I saw was the dunk he had, and I had an audible gasp because I did not expect that dunk that he laid down. He, so in case you don't know what I'm talking about, against the Hornets, he played 18 minutes, shot six of nine from the field. He missed both his threes because he's not a shooter, but he had 14 points. He had three steals. He had a block, five rebounds, and an assist. And he had just like, he was backdoor cutting and Bielitsa and Draymond were both just having field days finding him, right? Like they went on a massive run and Gary Payton was shutting down Lonzo. He was shutting, not Lonzo, Lamelo. Goodness, I know I made that mistake. He was shutting down Lamelo. He was shutting down poor Ish Smith. Ish Smith got put in the fucking torture chamber. And like, Ish Smith didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, he's been a solid NBA vet. <laughs> and, and Gary, the mitten as he's known, affectionately he came in and he just basically gave ish smith and lamello the business and it was just like a remarkable thing to watch and i think i criticized that they cut avery bradley and now i think they (laughs) they made the right choice um do you have anything to add about the the mitten or any other warriors things i mean he's just another fun guy that like he's just i mean i love off-ball guards that's if you listen to this pod you'll know the Hamadou Diallo types, the Bruce Browns. Like, I love an off-ball guard. And Gary Payton, man, like, he that's what he is. I mean, he's he gets to the rim. He Somehow no one knows he's there, and he just scores. And, again, if you can throw a dunk like that down, on Kelly Oubre, no less, the uh, – the uh, I don't know what the adjective would be, but the, the former warrior that I don't think anyone really cares that he's gone. Um, so – it was, it's nice to see that. And I mean, as you mentioned, like Damian Lee too, I mean, they've got, they've got a nice mix of guys. Like this bench is really scrappy. And again, when clay comes back, you're going to push pool to that bench too. It's they're They're just going to get better. I will ask. So I haven't seen Kuminga play at all. Cause he's played two games and he's played garbage time. And I usually turn off the games by garbage time. Um, I mean, was it a mistake? Like, I know it's like (laughs) it's only been seven games into their first year and they're obviously being outshone by some of their peers. But it's just like, why didn't I feel like they should have traded those picks? I feel like that, like the two paths thing we I've kept talking about. It feels like for the last few weeks now, it feels like the Warriors are on an extreme two pass. Like they're trying to win the championship right now, but they're also got three, two 19 year olds and a 20 year old. They need to develop. And it just feels like all three of those guys probably need to spend a lot of time in Santa Cruz this year. And it feels like you shouldn't be taking guys that need to be spending a lot of time in Santa Cruz with top with lottery picks. Yeah, I mean, I think they wanted to trade the picks. I just think the guys that they wanted, they the picks weren't good enough. And I'm looking at the draft board now. And I mean, I don't know how Franz Wagner's playing because I haven't watched a, a second of the Magic, and I don't plan to anytime soon. Um, but ideally, he's a more NBA ready guy. Obviously, Davion Mitchell. The, the little bit I've seen of Zaire Williams, I mean, he would be better for this team. Like he hasn't really done much on offense, but he's been pretty good on defense, and that would be at least something. You know, like it's and they wanted Duarte over Moody, but they got stuck with Moody who they have to develop. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Like, it's really funny that a team with three lottery picks in the past two years, one of them being the number two pick, is, like, kind of mad that they have those players. 
Like you could send those three guys to a bunch of teams and they'd be like, please give us, give them to us. Um, but the Warriors, you know, the past couple of years, ever since Clay got hurt, they've been in that weird middle ground where they, they still have the best player or one of the best players in the league and one of the best shooters of all time. And Draymond Green, one of the best defenders. And it's like, we can't just lose, you know? And <laughs> I mean, I still think they're probably going to end up trying to trade those guys this season because, man, like – Again, three lottery picks on top of whatever else they want to throw, and they could get a nice, a really nice piece back. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it was a mistake to draft those two guys because, again, I don't think they really wanted to, but a loss. Here we are. So we'll see where they go. And it's like with the Wiseman thing, and I feel like Caleb is going to destroy me for this. He just is a young center on a team that's best when Draymond Green is playing center. Like, that's, that's just a fact. Like, when Draymond's playing the five, this team hums, right? Like, they, they're they an elite team when he, like, he's an elite defensive center at this point. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And he's not a power forward. Like, playing Draymond at power forward only works, like, in the first and third quarters when Looney's out there. Who is looking very solid, by the way. I have to give him credit. Looney isn't looking terrible out there. But, I mean, Draymond is a center at heart. And like I don't know what their plan was because he can't shoot, and Wiseman's not projected to be a shooter either. And so I I don't understand. Um, Kuminga I think is an interesting swing, but Kuswinga. <laughs> I was so bad. I'm sorry. But um, Moses Moody, you know, I liked him in I liked him in Arkansas. I really liked him. I think he can have a Mikael Bridges type of. Uh, arc for his career so I, I'll be curious to see that but I just think that I think this team should try to sell right I wouldn't I'm not sure if I'd sell Wiggins though and that's the problem is he's the guy you have to trade if you want to make a trade mm-hmm. and you uh, you started with him I'll finish with him like he's kind of taking like a back seat but he's moving the ball in a way that I think you would have thought unimaginable <laughs> After his first couple seasons in Minnesota, like if you saw like and he's only averaging two assists, but it doesn't mean he's not moving off the ball. It doesn't mean he's not, you know, getting locating, you know, finding dump off passes in the paint. He's playing really well. And I think that he's an integral part of this team. He's kind of like their Harrison Barnes now, ironically, going back to the 2015 comparison where he's not their best player and he's ideally your fourth best player. But if he's your fourth best player, you're in a really good spot. Yeah, I mean, you could tell last year that a lot of those bad Minnesota habits were shaking off. It's just like when you play with with Steph and Draymond, like you have to be different. You know, playing with Steph and Draymond is not like playing with Cat and Jimmy Butler. Like, I mean, Jimmy Butler, I think, you know, like he pushed him to be better, at least tried to. But Cat was just a, a kitten back then, you know. So he didn't really have the he didn't really have the force of nature that that Draymond has. And I I think it's really helped Wiggins. And what scares me is if they do trade him, I wonder if he'll go back to the Minnesota kind of mold and just be like, oh well, it's my team now, so let me let me take over because that was kind of his problem in Minnesota. But hopefully, some of that wears off on him. Um, Cause I, I really liked the way he played last year. I mean, he made my top 100. Like he, I think he's, he's been really solid. And then, you know, to finish off real quick with what you said about Wiseman, like 
This was the problem I thought last year they had, and I, I think I said this on a pot or two, that Kevon Looney was just so much better than him last year. I mean, the numbers with Wiseman on the floor before he got hurt were horrific. And you plugged Looney into the same lineup, and they were good. Like, Looney is a really solid center on both ends. And, you know, he's not playing – like, as you said, Draymond Green is the ideal center. So, like, he's going to get a bunch of the minutes at the end of the game. But – so so you're going to have Green playing the closing minutes, and then you're going to have Looney play all the other minutes. Like, there's really no room for Wiseman. That's what, that's what worries me. Unless Wiseman comes back this year and is just all of a sudden a good defender – you know, I don't see how you can play him over Looney when you're trying to win games. Like, this is not an environment that's trying to foster, you know, young development. This is a team that's trying to win. And Kevon Looney and Draymond Green are way better centers than Wiseman. So, that's why I think they've, they're probably going to have to trade him and Kaminga or something because, you know, they, to make an upgrade, you're just going to have to do that. And I think a lot of teams saw what the Spurs did with Kawhi. And they're like, we can do that. Like the Spurs, you know, they drafted Kawhi 15th. He was practically a lottery pick. I mean, all things considered for that franchise, that's a lottery pick. But, you know, they really slow played the Kawhi thing. And that might have fucked him in the end. That might have been why he wanted to leave is because he wasn't treated like an A1 star from day one. And it was probably what was best for him. But guys don't want what's best for them a lot of the time. That's applicable to life as well as the NBA. Like, Wiseman was the number two pick. Most number two picks, for better or for worse, are catered to. They're, you know, every whim is like, they're basically treated like royalty, right? Not in Golden State. Steph is royalty. Draymond is royalty. Clay is royalty. At this point, Iggy coming back, he's royalty. Like, and Looney, Looney was on a good amount of those championship teams too. He's on a higher place in the pecking order than Wiseman is. And Wiseman's probably like, hey, what the hell? I'm the second overall pick. I'm, you know, somebody. And I think that, you know, obviously you don't want to go too far in the direction of coddling the player, right? Like that's bad. And we've seen that it explode in other teams' faces before, like the team we have coming up next. <laughs> but you don't want to go too far in the other direction either, which is like, okay, you are, don't really like we drafted you, but you're like really low in our totem pole. Like there needs to be like, I feel like there needs to be like a better balance there. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And like, ideally you would, you would throw a Wiseman in there for some, some minutes, but gosh, again, from what we saw last year, it was just, it was so bad. And it was a short amount of time, so maybe it wasn't fair. And he was a rookie, and rookie bigs should suck. Rookie bigs and rookie guards should suck. And the rookie guards thing is just apparently not applicable anymore because it seems like they're all just good. Uh, No matter the past few years, they're just all good. So I don't know. I guess that's out the window now. But, I mean, rookie bigs, they have to learn defense and all that jazz and I mean, you know, they were having Wiseman shoot a bit last year. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think I think they should play him just to see what they have. Because, again, they didn't see it much last year. But, again, like, are you sacrificing winning? So, it, it's definitely a tough balance to strike. It definitely is. I think we had a good little Warriors discussion there. Are you ready to move on to the Kings or anything else you'd like to add about the our favorite team at West? <laughs> oh, I'm ready for the Kings. <laughs> 
Oh, buddy. This team had a very busy week, actually. In the time between our um, last power hour and this one, they played five games. One of the wonderful things about the NBA schedule, by the way, is that no team will ever be playing the same amount. Like, there's no uniformity amount of games in a week. Some teams might play two games in a week. Some teams might play five. <laughs> and so this week, the Kings played five. We got They beat the Suns on a Harrison Barnes buzzer beater last Wednesday. They beat the Pelicans 113-109. Um, last Friday, they lost the Mavericks 105 to 99 on Sunday on Halloween. They lost to the Jazz 119 to 113 on Tuesday, and they beat the Pelicans last night 112 to 99. They are currently four and four. They are good for seventh in the Western Conference. And I think there's only one really place to start, Dylan. It's here in Fox. What is like, call me crazy. They probably would be like, seven and one right now if De'Aaron Fox was playing like 75% of his capabilities. Yeah. You know, I was watching the jazz game yesterday, the game where Fox went for 15 and they were talking about that. And they were talking about how they think it's because he's been off ball a lot more because what's really interesting is Tyrese Halliburton, who was mostly off ball last year, except when he was, you know, running the bench He's all of a sudden like the lead guard and taking Fox out of the equation. I actually think he's been really good for them because Tyrese just doesn't turn the ball over. He's just really clean. Like he, he runs a really good pick and roll. He's good at getting to the rim. You know, he's not a great pull-up shooter because like he just kind of has a weird shot, but if you give it, he's like kind of how Malcolm Brogdon is like, if you give him enough space, he's, he's knocking the shot down. And with Richon Holmes in the pick and roll, you're going to get plenty of space. So he does get his looks. But, you know, on that front, I think their offense has been better. They don't they don't really turn the ball over much. Like, I think they're top 10 in turnover percentage, like, which is really good for a team like the Kings to hold on to the ball. And, but yeah, it's pushed De'Aaron Fox off the ball. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox is obviously – very good on the ball. He's a very good player. He's made his name in the league by being a really good on ball player, but he's struggling now. I think it's going to be good for him to learn how to play off ball more because I mean, we just talked about Zach Levine, like look how good Zach Levine is. And part of the reason is because he's so good off the ball. Deer and Fox is so quick and smart. Like he could be a really good off ball cutter like playing with either Davion Mitchell or Tyrese Halliburton. That's one of the benefits of having those two guys. And even Buddy Heald's a good passer. Like, like there's like, there is a major benefit to having De'Aaron Fox off the ball and he's figuring it out right now. And it's, it's not looking good, but I actually think in the long term it's, it's a pretty smart decision from Luke Walton to, to try to get him off the ball more. Yeah, you brought up that you thought they were top 10 in turnover percentage. They are first in the league at not turning over the ball. And it shows like this team, they're playing a lot smarter this year. Like there's still some lapses, but their defense has gone from catastrophic to just bad, (laughs) which is a huge improvement. Like last year, they had the worst defensive rating of all time. This year so far, they're at 22nd (laughs) on cleaning the glass. So it's a lot better. I think like you put Fox off the ball, it kind of makes him a little worse, but Harrison Barnes has looked a lot better. Buddy Heald, this is the best he's looked since 2019. 
Like, I don't think that there's really any debate there. Mitchell's looking great so far. Um, Holmes is playing great. You have your whole team is playing ridiculously well, except your best player. And I think once he, if he gets it into gear this year, I think there's a chance they are a high play in slash playoff team. Like they're real. I think they're really good, Dylan. Like, am I crazy for thinking that the Kings are actually good? (laughs) No, I mean, I was, I was watching them the other night and, you know, we love to talk about how the Grizzlies are our team, but how is this not one of our teams? I mean, we love a lot of the players on this team at this point. Like, we love Fox, we love Mitchell, we love Halberd, we love Holmes, we love Barnes. I mean, yes, you know, Alex Lennon, Marvin Bagler are on this team. But aside from that, like, it's just a roster chock full of really good players. And, I mean, look at their schedule. So they beat New Orleans last night, not that impressive. They barely lost to Utah on the road. They barely lost to Dallas on the road. They beat Phoenix. They lost to Golden State pretty good, but... I think that was more of like a – like they were close for most of that game and it kind of – Golden State took off in the end. Like they've played pretty much every game close to this point and they're not playing scrub teams. Like they're playing good teams. And, I mean, they have some they have some easy games coming up. So, like that's a good test, I think, where it's like can you beat – can you beat the teams that you're definitely better than, you know, handily. So, what I was thinking last night is – you know, no disrespect to Mo Harkless. He he has his games, but if you can upgrade on Mo Harkless, man, you I think you make a really good run at the playoffs because like you have you have Marvin Bagley as the chip, right? You can convince a team, hey, like this guy was number two at one point. You know, let's throw in a first round pick and uh and see what we can get back. And I hate I hate to say it, but I was thinking about the Pacers because the Pacers could either say Jeremy Lamb and, you know, Marvin Bagley for Jeremy Lamb. I don't know. That's probably close. I don't, I don't know if that's fair value or not. But the, the guy I was actually thinking about more was TJ Warren. Because mm. TJ Warren, TJ Warren, first of all, he's going to be a free agent, um, which I don't know if that changes anything. But from the Pacers perspective, they may say, hey, we've got a lot of high dollar guys. You know, we've we're not necessarily playing good right now, but we're playing better now that Karis Levert's back. TJ Warren hasn't played in a long time. He missed all of last season. He hasn't played this season yet. Like TJ Warren on this Kings team would be pretty interesting. And not only would he obviously give you a much better starting three, but he's also a guy that could give your your bench unit some more punch because their bench outside of Mitchell right now and Buddy Heald. It's it's okay. It's not great. It definitely could use some more depth. So, you know, TJ Warren was just one guy. There's there's a bunch of you know Robert Covington's a free agent um, this off season. I don't know if they would really go that direction, but there there's some guys out there they could try to get. And man, especially if it's a good defender. I mean, I think their prospects for this season really change. I think that like there's some guys in Houston, right? Daniel House is a free. Well, yeah. I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. You throw the Rockets first in Marvin Bagley, and House plus Tice should Mm. match salaries. So, in addition, you're upgrading your bench. Tristan Thompson has played well when he's played, but I actually kind of like the center system they're going with. If it's a bigger guy, they're playing Alex Len. If it's a smaller guy and they need to switch more in the perimeter, they're playing Thompson. I think that's actually really smart. 
of Luke Walton. I think Luke Walton's done a lot better this year than in years past. Um, but yeah, if you get House and Tice, yeah, your offense might not get much better, but you have another wing to throw out there. And Lord knows everyone needs more wings nowadays. And it's like Harkless, I think, is I feel has been playing really well. Like he's not been great, but he's, you know, doing the job well enough where Harrison Barnes has, I think having Harkless in the starting lineup lets Harrison Barnes be the fucking first option. I think that's, that's where we should go next is this dude is like one of the 50 best players in the league right now. I don't think it'll last. It's been eight games, but he's averaging 23 a game on 49, 47 and 85 from the foul line on six and a half attempts from the foul line. This, I, I don't know what's gotten into him, but he's, they're running plays for him in crunch time. He's their like first option right now. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, his three-point shooting right now is a little bit uh, unsustainable at 47%. But I think it's just opportunity, really. Because if you look at the numbers, I mean, he's getting way more rebounds. But aside from that, it's just shots. Like, he shot pretty much 50% from the field last year, 39 from three. Like, that's awesome efficiency. And he's one of those guys that I like to talk about a lot that just get better every year at something. And really, ever since he's gotten to Sacramento, I think he's he's kind of been that way where he's just gotten better, and especially in offense. Like, if you go back to the Golden State days, he was kind of just delegated as this or designated as the corner three-point shooter. That was his game. Then he goes to Dallas and yeah, like he's, he's definitely better on offense and used more, but he's still got some work to do. And then of course, you know, he gets traded in the middle of a game to Sacramento. And, uh, and I, I mean, I think he's, he's gotten better ever since like his points have upticked every year. And another thing I was thinking about last night was we have poo pooed so many contracts from the Kings over the years, namely Zach Levine. Zach Levine getting, what was it? 19 a year? Was it 17? It's 19 a year. Yeah. Yeah. Which right now is like a fucking 25% discount at least. It's the contract is so good is that Zach Levine has to become a free agent to get like a fucking monster deal. That's how good the contract is looking now. Exactly. Like that. I'll just never forget that when the Kings gave him that offer and we all laughed and it was even funnier when the bulls matched it. Like, Oh my gosh, what idiots to match that. Yeah. It's worked out pretty well. Harrison Barnes. I think he may have got a similar deal. Like he, or he may have even got a little bit more just because of the way the NBA economy works, but he got like a three year $60 million deal or something like that. And we all laughed. I mean, oh, there goes the Kings again being idiots. And now the dude's averaging 23 points a game. So, I mean, he, he has just looked really good. And yes, I'm sure those numbers will fall a little bit. But like he's one of those three level scorers that I think is I mean, I, I never expected to call Harrison Barnes a three level scorer. But like he he's become that like he's good on ball. He's good off ball. Like he obviously has a a knack for hitting game winning shots as well. So, I mean, it's just a fun time to be a Harrison Barnes fan. I mean, I don't know what got into him because I I'm sure you remember 
you know, during the infancy of our basketball fandom, when Harrison Barnes was drafted and he was a really, I'm sure you remember, he was a really big deal coming out of college. Like, you know, this dude was like one of the most hype prospects in UNC history, <laughs> like going back to the eighties. And then, you know, he gets drafted to the Warriors. They kind of like try to make him a, a weird three, four kind of guy who's posting up a lot. <laughs> and then Kerr gets there. They reduce his role drastically. It's weird to see his role get pumped back up, but now he's actually good at it. <laughs> and I just love the progression in his game. Like, like you said, three level scorer sounds crazy with him, but he is one. He's been really good to start the season. And I think that we were talking last year, how they should have traded him and keeping him might've been one of their best decisions in a long time because <laughs> right. They wouldn't be four and four. If like if they replaced Harrison Barnes with like league average, like let's just say Kenrich Williams, right? Average power forward. They're not they're not four and four right now. They're probably one and seven. So he's been great to start the year. I think the other guy that really catches our eye, and this should be obvious knowing us, but it's it's Davion. <laughs> he hasn't been shooting well at all. But I think aside from the defense, which we'll talk about. I think his offense has been a lot better than I expected it to be for even like, you know, a 23-year-old rookie. I thought it was going to be some growing pains for him on offense. And he's getting to the lane a lot better than I thought he would. He's not shooting really well at all, but I think that kind of doesn't matter. I think he's playing well enough to to kind of offset that. What? How do you feel about what you've seen from Davion so far? Yeah, so I texted you last night and I said I had a comp. That's right. And, and this was something I've been working through for a couple days because – I, I knew I just there's something in my brain that recognizes like I just have like every NBA player I've ever seen documented in there. So there's triggers occasionally. That's why I, I feel like I'm so quick with comps is because there, there's some sort of trigger in my brain that just is like, I've seen that before. Who is that? And I'm, I, I had to watch like two or three games of Davion Mitchell. And I was trying to think I'm like, it's not Donovan Mitchell. Like it's not any of these other guards. And then I'm like, you know who it is? It's Kemba Walker. Mm. It's Kemba Walker. Okay, so he's bigger than Kemba. But if you watch the way he plays on offense, he's really fucking quick. He's really good at handling the ball despite his speed. And he's really good at stopping on a dime. And he had a shot in the Jazz game where he just stopped on a dime and pulled up from like the elbow. And I'm like, that's that's bread and butter Kemba right there. And I think that was the moment. I'm like, that's that's Kemba Walker with defense. Like, can you imagine Kemba Walker as one of the best defenders in the league? I mean, he needs he needs the shot to rein in, which again, we've talked about this before. Kemba took years to become a good shooter. So Davion Mitchell's probably ahead of him at this point. But I mean, man, like Kemba Walker as an awesome defender is a really good player. And I really think Davion can become that. I think that's an excellent comparison. And the comparison works too, because Kemba was upperclassman in his draft. He wasn't a, a freshman. He was a junior and he was a top 10 pick. So that's, I think that's a really good comparison because they don't like Baylor for all the talk about how good their team was last year. Davion Mitchell to me by far, their best player. It wasn't really even close to me. Like watching, you know, again, and I know I say it, like having front row seats to watching Davion Mitchell, like I just kind of knew, right? Like, and you read the draft stuff and you're like, maybe I'm wrong, 
but like he was the catalyst like he's such a good ball mover he's such a like he's a good shooter the shot will come i don't have any doubt about that because it was too good last year and it doesn't look like there's any weird hitches in it like like that kid macy oteague that was on the team that kid has a hitch in his shot and if he can get that fixed he might be a a good player but mitchell was too good of a shooter for him not to improve and i mean you knew he was going to play 10 years in the nba just because of his defense like that man is just a dogged defender there's a chance we have three rookies make all defense teams this year dylan with between him scotty barnes and mobley which i'm I, we haven't seen a full Cavs game yet and i'm really excited to watch them but um mitchell man that dude is going like he gave donovan mitchell the first jazz game the work the second jazz game donovan kind of had him figured out a little bit but he was still you know forcing charges forcing turnovers he only has 0.8 steals a game, but I would guess that Davion right now is forcing about three turnovers a game. Like just based on the eye test, like how many charges he draws, how many, you know, balls he deflects off of the guy's leg. I feel like he's forcing a lot more than just 0.8 turnovers a game. It has to be, has to be more than that. And the fact that he's only averaging two fouls a game, <laughs> Davion Mitchell got in the league at the exact right time because if this was under last year's rules, he'd probably be at like five fouls every game and on the verge of fouling out. But yeah, like what just describe what you feel watching Davion Mitchell guard the other team stars one on one. It's just fun watching a guy that has so much energy on defense because we're so used to these guys. There's a lot of good players that come into the league as good defenders. And like, like look at Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal used to be looked at as like one of the better defenders in the league. And he, he decided to take the scoring, you know, champ route, which is fine, but he does not give a fuck about defense now, which is sad because like he, he has the chops to be really good. And, and I think if Washington was actually a good team, we'd maybe see it more. Um, I, I, right now he's probably like, you know what? We need to get some points because <laughs> otherwise we're going to finish under 500. So I understand it. But watching a guy like him just work his ass off on defense and it doesn't even look like he's getting tired either. Like he's just in awesome shape, like to be able to defend like that on the perimeter, no less against like Donovan Mitchell. Like, it's not like he's going up against, you know, slow-mo here. Like he's going up against a really good, you know, offensive ball handler and he's just, he's so strong. Like he's only six, two, but he just looks much stronger than he should be. And he just really makes guys fight. And, you know, he's, he's going to be a pest. He's going to be Patrick Beverly, but like way better on offense. And again, that's, that's a hell of a player. And just, it's why, I just, I'm, I'm going to love this Kings team. Like I was a little bit embarrassed to admit it last year, but this year I'm, I'm fully on board because man, like, as you mentioned earlier, Buddy Heald has been really good too. And Buddy Heald, people like to forget about Buddy Heald. He might be, especially with Clay not in the league, he might be the second best shooter in the league behind Steph. Like he's up there. And if you look at shots made, I think he's, he's definitely up there in the past few years. So you add him, Fox, Halliburton, like those four together with Barnes and Holmes and Holmes is having a career as well. I mean, this team is just really fun right now. 
Yeah, Holmes is playing out of his fucking mind right now. <laughs> um, he is averaging 15 and 10 on 68% from the field, and that feels low. He's real judicious with his shot selection, which is kind of weird for a center. You know, when you're a center, you kind of feel the need, like, oh, I need to get my shots up. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to get points. But Holmes knows he's such an integral part of the offense as a role man that he's going to get the ball eventually. And he's such a good lob threat. He's got, like we talked about last year, he's got the floater touch. He's shooting 94% from the foul line right now. Now, only like eight, like only 16 attempts. So it's not like a whole lot. But still interesting that he's only missed like one free throw all season so far. Um, and then Buddy, what I don't know what Luke Walton like. He's must have said something to Buddy over the off season. But Buddy's actually playing defense now, which he hadn't done in a while. <laughs> I don't think he'd done through his whole career actually, because why would he have? Um, and between him and Halliburton, the Kings' defense has gotten so much better. Fox is still a defense. Like they don't talk about him as much because he's not as big of a name, <laughs> but Fox to me watching him on defense. If you want to laugh, just watch Deere and Fox's mistakes on defense. Like that dude is standing at the three point line, like on the wing with everyone, like his man and the man who's, you know, he's supposedly trying to help on or in the paint. Like he's not, good on defense, but Buddy has been playing hard on defense. That Buddy and he, Mitchell backcourt on defense has actually been really good. <laughs> and so you throw that combination together. If they get another wing, right? That Marvin Bagley piece is a big one. And that Tristan Thompson contract is a big one to trade too. If you wanted to maybe combine those and try to get like a player who's making 20 million, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like, you know, just a guy who can make a difference for your team. You have the pieces to make that trade, and I think they should make it. I think this is a team, given the state of the West right now, this is a team that could make the playoffs and make some noise once they get there. You know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of pushing Harrison Barnes back to the three, but what about Jeremy Grant? Ooh, I like that idea. <laughs> I like that idea a lot. That would be well. I think Jeremy Grant would play the three in that scenario. Yeah, and you have might. two guys. You have two six nine guys, which is more than a lot of other teams have in a smaller league. And I think having size in a smaller league would help. I actually really like that idea because the contracts match perfectly. Because I think Marvin Bagley's making like eleven. Tristan's making nine. You throw in like a first round pick or two, and say here, you know. We want to win now, and Jeremy Grant's been playing really well. I actually really like that idea, Dylan. That's a that's a good call by you because the Kings. I mean, do you agree that the Kings should be pushing all their chips forward because they haven't made the playoffs in so long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, they have put themselves in such a good situation by their their last two drafts. I mean, seriously, it cannot be overstated how good of a draft getting Halliburton and Mitchell back-to-back. I mean, that that may be the best, like, back-to-back draft out of anyone in the league. Like, with only two first-round picks, at least in those two years, I mean, those are two, like, ready players. I mean, Halliburton last year, it didn't take long for him to gain Luke Walton's trust. And there's – I'm not saying Luke Walton is one of those, you know, Tibbs coaches that is, like, if you're a rookie, you're basically dead to me. But, like – he had to play Halliburton because Halliburton was that good last year. 
And look at Mitchell this year. It's the same exact thing. You can get two guys that young on top of De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Rashawn Holmes, Harrison Barnes. That's a fucking squad, man. And, and yes, Marvin Bagley has not worked out. But, I mean, you could easily convince a team. You can convince the Rockets. You can convince the Pistons. Maybe Oklahoma City. Like, the teams that are so far out – of contention that it's like, you know, screw it. Like we'll, we'll uh, try to get a a first round pick or two and and take this guy in and see what happens. I mean, you could easily do that. I mean, even maybe, uh, maybe Orlando would be willing to do that too. Like there's, there's teams out there like, yeah, we'll, we'll give Marvin Bagley a try and, and yeah, we'll take your first round pick and here's, here's some aging veteran that we don't care about. I mean, there's teams like that every single year. And the Kings, they're not competing for a championship and they're probably not going to even get out of the first round. But it's just like Minnesota when they got Jimmy Butler. It's like, who cares, man? We need to make the playoffs because this city is eventually going to kick us out. Okay, (laughs) like we've got to do something. And this this right now, I think, is the ultimate like throw all the cards in the middle of the table like this. This is this is the time to go for a, a big move. I, I couldn't have put it any better myself. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up Kings week, to wrap up, um, to wrap up all three teams this week. I think we had a really good discussion this week about all our teams. Um, one last thing, and this isn't related to the Kings. I just remembered Scotty Barnes has missed the last couple of games. Do we want to throw the Raptors back in the pile and maybe respin the wheel? Maybe try to save them for when Scotty's back. Is there a timeline on when he's going to come back? I have not found one. I, Maybe he's day to day. I'm not sure, but he missed the game against the Wizards yesterday. I think he's missed two games in a row. So, trying to see if I can find. He's got a thumb sprain. Doesn't sound good. Does not. Siakam has missed some time too, hasn't he? Siakam isn't. He's out for a while. Yeah. Siakam just got sent to um. So their G League team. So he's going to be back probably in like by the beginning of December, I have to imagine. Yeah, maybe we should test our luck and hope to get them around then. then. Okay, so let's go ahead and re-spin the wheel. Um, I got to find it on my computer. There we go. So I didn't take the Raptors out. That's a good thing. Let's go ahead and spin the wheel again. Let's see who we get. <laughs> We get no better than the magic. We get the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, okay. So they're a, a interesting team. So I think that that's gonna wrap everything for us for this week. Um, you know, I gotta say you gotta check out um, the Divine Rhyme that I hopped on this week. I think. That was a killer divine rhyme, Dylan. And, you know, maybe that's just me, my bias speaking. What, what did you think of that divine rhyme where we talked about to pimp a butterfly? It was great, man. I mean, I love talking about Kendrick Lamar. And it was nice to have, you know, two other guys that are just as into it. And I don't I don't remember what the final tally as far as minutes was. But, I mean, me and Will are pretty consistently like between an hour 15 and an hour 30 and it's usually closer to an, an hour 15, but I think we were probably pushing two hours with that one. Yes, we were. We were at an hour 46. 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that just shows the the depth of conversation we had. I mean, it was, it was great, man. I mean, that album is chock full of conversation topics. So it was, it was a really good time. It was a really good time. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, even though I kind of bullied my way on, I'll admit it, but you know, it's an album I'm really passionate about. So I'm glad I got to discuss it with you guys. No pressure. Finding happiness in a fear-driven world. I have the book. Do I have it on me where I should be displaying it in the Zoom? I do not. That is my mistake, but you know, <laughs> we will be uh, learning from our mistakes. But now that I have the book and I feel like less of a fraud for saying, for threatening people, listen, I'm going to go to your favorite. I'm going to go to your favorite team. I'm going to tell them you've been writing, you know, all those hateful things they see on their, you know, social media accounts, on the team blogs, whatever. I'm going to say that you are the person that's been writing all those hateful comments and they're going to ban you from all their games. They're going to be like, no, this person can't come to our game. Sorry. And that, that's just going to be that. Like, even if your favorite team is like, you know, your daughter's like softball team or whatever, you're going to be banned from going to their games because you write hateful messages about them on the internet, allegedly. How, how is that one, Dylan? I feel like that one wasn't so terrible. <laughs> you know, as soon as you started talking, I was thinking about Jalen Rager the horrible, uh, I almost said Sixers, Eagles wide receiver that he gets like two catches a game and he thinks, you know, that he's some great receiver. And I'm there was a, a couple weeks ago, he DM'd some fan on Instagram for talking shit and like was trying to set up a fight. So I'm just thinking like there, I'm sure there are players like that on every single team that, I, I guess it's fragile ego is really what causes that. But there, there are, there's someone on every team that if they find out you're talking shit, man, they will literally fight you. Like not. Like, like, I think I, I found a way to improve it. <laughs> I found a way to improve it, Dylan. I'm going to tell James Johnson that you were talking shit about him. Ooh. I'm going to call him up. I'm going to be like, Hey, James. You know, and I'll, I'll be super respectful. I'm like, hey, you know, Blank, you know, was talking massive shit about you. They live at Blank Blank. You go, uh, they want, they said they wanted to meet up with you and tell you that you sucked to your face. So I, I think, I think that one, there we go. I love when I can workshop these in real time. <laughs> the only thing I'll say is, you know, James Johnson is an MMA fighter pretty much. But a lot of those MMA fighters, they know their strength and they don't want to fight random people because they know what they can do. But you know, someone who has a fragile ego and does not care who you are is Kevin Durant. If you call up Kevin Durant and say, Hey, this completely irrelevant kid from like Wisconsin started talking shit. Here's his address. He'll show up. Okay. He will show up. So Kevin Durant, I'm sure there's a bunch of other guys, Jalen Reger, you know, give, we're going to give you the, those guys, your number and address. And you better, you better uh, get ready because they're coming for you. You know, you better get ready. Um, Lynn Sanity is out while we're recording this week eight. Um, there's a lot to discuss there. And unfortunately, some very unfortunate things to discuss. Um, but also week eight, not the best week in the good old shield. So that there's that um, circle or circle city cinema will be back next week. I'll be hopping on with our friend Zach. I'm not sure if anybody else will be on. Well, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So that'll be fun. And then, yeah, Divine Rhyme um, next week, Damn, will be up. So I'm really excited to hear that one because I 
Kendrick Lamar month. Listen, I'm just biased because Kendrick is one of my favorite artists, but I think Kendrick month has been one of my favorite months. I thought the good kid episode was great. Section 80 episode was great. So keep up the good work there, Dylan. Um, yeah, I think that's everything we got for today. We kept this one under a crisp hour and a half. I think that we can do that now. I think we've established a good pace <laughs> with these episodes where we kind of don't have to spend like 40 minutes dwelling on Hamadou <laughs> Diallo this year. No offense, Dylan, but I'm assuming during Pistons League, we will dwell on Mr. Diallo. But <laughs> Dylan, I think this was a great episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me once again. Thank you. Thank you.